You know, we each have a story, and I really wanted to talk to you a little bit about what story is all about today. Uh, when I meet with new people, um, people who are showing up to the church and wondering if this would be their church home, I, I love to sit down with them and just hear their story. I, I love to hear your story because uh, the story tells me who you are. It gives me a connection to the things that you value, your priorities, the, the things that are important to you, uh, your fears, your dreams, your hopes, your struggles. And it's, it's good to hear story because story defines us. You have a story. Jen's here. Somebody from my past. Wow, it's good to see you. Wow. See, I do pay attention to who's out here. Wow. Uh, see me afterwards, okay? <laughs> Jen's a part of my story. Uh, we all have a story that defines who we are, Colle- individually and also collectively. Have you ever thought about being a part of a, a group of people that has story? Uh, we call ourselves Americans, and, and we get very patriotic. Uh, on Broadway, there's this uh, show called Hamilton. We like to connect with Hamilton because it's part of our collective story of who we are as Americans. And, and it tells of freedom and, and independence and, and, and so we have this collective story that we can belong to as well. But when you're talking about story, there's a couple things that you've got to be careful about. Because if you're going to define yourself or your group uh, by story, number one, that story better be true. Okay? You, you better have facts that are grounded in reality. Uh, if I were to tell you my story and, and tell you how in, in the 80s I played middle linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams, you would all be laughing because though I'm the size of a middle linebacker, if you've ever seen me run, you'd say, no, that's not part of your story, Trey, at all. Uh, that, that wouldn't be true. So I, I might try to define myself by that, but I would not be very powerful in my story, nor would I be very truthful. And so, so it's got to be based in fact, but it's also really good in order for there to be meaning in our lives that those stories actually connect with a larger, bigger picture story, if you will. That, that's where, really what gives our life meaning. That's why I can ask some of you, what were you doing on November 22nd, 1963? Does, does anybody, does that ring a bell? November 22, 1963. Larry, what was that? What was that? Uh, yeah, President Kennedy's assassination. And, and though you weren't there, though you weren't part of Kennedy's life because you were part of that bigger thing, it really was your story now forever is connected with that in some way. For those of you who were not alive in 63, what were you doing on September 11th, 2001? You know, your story gets connected with a bigger story, and all of a sudden we begin to see a different meaning, a different purpose to our own lives when we have a larger overarching reality or or truth. Now, the same thing goes with when we start talking about church. You are a part of of the story of a church, if you belong to the church. Now, what am I talking about when I talk about church? Well, this church has a history, doesn't it? This church has a story. We're, we're, We're turned 75 this year. Yeah, and we're going to be having a huge, almost as old as you, Dave. Um, I know. Hey, you're not a sitting elder right now, so I'm safe. I'm safe. 
We have a story. 75 years ago, there was a group of these ranchers here in Powell Butte who had had an itinerant preacher come through for for a, a good amount of time, and they said, we want this itinerant guy to stay here to be our pastor. And so a man named Penny Penhollow, 75 years ago, decided that he would take that job, and they began the Powell Butte Community Christian Church right here. And then as they continued to go on, then they, they, they pooled their money together and their resources together to actually build a building. And then it began to grow and people's lives began to change and the gospel was getting out into this community. Which, which tells me that when they began their story, they had your story in mind. Though they may not have known who you were, they had you in mind, knowing who you would be, that generations would come after them. So that they were not just living for themselves. Their story was a part of a bigger story, and your story now connects with the story of Powell Butte Christian Church in some way. But also your story connects with the church in general, the church global, the church historic and this story is really what we are focusing in on this year. This year, we decided that we really wanted to look at the book of Acts. That's one of the books in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, our Bible is broken up into two sections. The Old Testament, which is about two-thirds of this book, and then the New Testament. And in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have this book of Acts. And the, the full name of it is the Acts of the Apostles. But what Acts is, is, is basically a history or the story of our heritage as the church. No matter whether your church is in Uganda or Thailand or England or Argentina or America. The, the church has a story and see that in the book of Acts. Now, let me, let me tell you a little bit about Acts before we launch into this series. It was written by a guy named Luke, and we know that Luke was a Greek guy. He was a doctor, and eventually he would connect with the Apostle Paul and be one of his traveling companions on his missionary journeys. Uh, he was living in Troas when, when Paul met him. And, and Luke was a guy who was really detailed. He loved details. And, and he began to make an investigative report about all that the church was doing, all that Jesus was doing. He, he wanted to, to find out for himself because he was not an eyewitness of Jesus. But he interviewed the eyewitnesses of Jesus and wanted to put out this, this chronicle of the, the life and power found in Jesus' life, and then the life of the church. And so he's written this, uh, this book of Acts to a guy named Theophilus. Now, there's been some debate over the centuries as if Theophilus was a real person or not. Now, why, why would you even wonder if Theophilus was a real person? There's his name. It's going to be in there. Well, Theophilus is actually a Greek, uh, Greek word meaning God lover or friend of God. And so some people think it's just a metaphor for anyone who is a God lover or a friend of God for them to read this. And and that works. It it definitely could be that way. And and yet when we read uh, of, uh, he says, uh, he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus in in one spot, meaning that he probably was actually talking with a real person. And then some people actually believe that Theophilus was actually the patron of Luke. Because back then, when you were a doctor, you, you, that was not a real prestigious thing. Uh, you relied on other people to give you money. And so Theophilus would have employed Luke to be a servant doctor for himself. 
And so then when Paul would show up in Troas, we think maybe Theophilus then lent Luke, allowed Luke to go with Paul because Paul needed some medical attention, we, we, we believe, and, and Luke would have been there with him. What was the purpose of writing to Theophilus? Well, it seems like Luke really wanted to bridge the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Gospels and all of the letters that Paul would write. You see, if we didn't have the book of Acts, we would see Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and he tells all of his people to go out with the gospel, and then all we would then have would be these letters that Paul and Peter and John would have written to a bunch of different churches. And we would think, well, obviously something happened. Obviously something, it's, it's kind of like when you have to get up in the middle of a movie to go to the bathroom. You've seen that the story so far, then you're gone for like five minutes or so. You come back, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, 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 what happened? What happened there? I, I, I was following this thing, and now something else. So we need the book of Acts to show what happened between the Gospels and the letters. And, then, and so it's the purpose to show this, how we went from 12 guys who believed in Jesus' resurrection to the world changing because of their message. So Acts is essentially Luke part 2. Uh, how do I know this? Well, let's compare the first part of Acts with the first part of Luke. If you go to Acts chapter 1, this is how Luke begins part 2, the, the book of Acts. He says, in my former book... Which tells me that there's a former book somewhere, right? That this is number two. And in my former book, Theophilus, there's the guy's name, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these, uh, these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. We see a lot of things right there packed into those three verses about what was going on. He said, in my former book, I, I talked about all that Jesus began to do. And then there was this Holy Spirit thing going on. And that he continues to teach and to do through the power of the Holy Spirit now. So how are we to read Acts? Well, put your there and go two books back to the left to the Gospel of Luke, Luke part one. Where Luke begins there, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. See, Luke is giving us these events, these facts about Jesus' life, of what he began to do in his ministry on earth, and then what he continued to do through the ministry of the church now, there's, it's important to understand that when, back in the ancient days, if somebody was going to tell story, it was one of two ways, only one of two ways. When you look at ancient literature, either people told stories by myth or by actual historical narrative, either myth or historic narrative. Now, what is myth? Well, you guys probably remember back in high school, 
going through the mythology book. And if you had Edith Hamilton, that was my, the book that you would read. I, I loved reading about Zeus and Hercules and all these people, uh, all the mythology. Now, when you read mythology, e- even back then, when the people read uh, about Prometheus, for example, who stole fire from the gods on Mount Olympus to give it to man and then was punished for doing so, when they looked at that, they did not see that as fact. They didn't say that there was one day, at one time, a guy named Prometheus who really went up to Mount Olympus and really saw Zeus and Hera and all of those gods and really stole fire from them. What they were doing, mythology, is, it serves one of two purposes. It either explains a natural phenomenon by connecting it to something bigger than oneself, or it's, it's trying to outline some kind of virtue, some kind of lesson that we can learn. And they would never look at mythology, even back in the day when it was written, as historic fact. It was, it was a, a, a fable, uh, something to, to teach young, young kids about, something to look at the mountains and, and, and creation and, and connect it to something bigger than themselves. And so they created these myths. Some people, when they look at the Bible, they say, well, the Bible is myth. Even some Christian scholars who are uh, more on the liberal side of things, they, they look at this and say, you know what, this, this has got some great teaching. We, we can learn some virtues from this, but this really didn't really happen. Well, the other way that you can actually tell story back in the ancient times was by historic narrative, where you can actually learn virtue, but really the, the point was is this really happened. This is what was reality. Now, Luke says right off the bat, right here in both Acts and in Luke, that he is not bringing up myth at all. He says, what happened? We saw. There were eyewitnesses that I have investigated, that I have, I, I have interviewed. And they saw what was going on. And eventually, Luke will even be an eyewitness of the ministry of Paul at one point. He says, this is not myth. Now, what's the difference? Well, have you ever heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis was a scholar and then he eventually taught at Oxford. He had been trained by some of the, the most brilliant minds and he knew medieval literature. He studied legend. He studied, uh, he studied how to, to, to take literature and, and put it into different genres and understand it. Brilliant man. Brilliant man. And then he got his hands on the Bible because he wanted to disprove the Bible. He wanted to show that God did not exist. And in doing so, he wound up being a... Christian man who was a, an evangelist and wanted to tell people that there is no other logical conclusion but that there is a God. Well, when he got his hands on the Bible and, and he started to look at Luke and, and John and, and even Acts, as he looked at these gospel accounts, he says this. He says, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legends, he said. I'm quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They're not artistic enough. The Gospels are not artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they're clumsy. And they, they, they don't work up to things properly. For, exa- for example, most of the life of Jesus is totally unknown to us. As is the life of anyone else who lived at that time. And no people who are building up a legend would allow that to be so. And what, what he's saying is that if you're going to create a legend, you don't leave huge parts of a man's life out of the narrative. You put that in. He says, now, apart from the bits of platonic dialogue, there are no conversations that I know of in ancient literature, like, for example, John, the fourth gospel. 
There's nothing, even in modern literature, until about a hundred years ago when the realistic novel came into existence. There's a reason why novels are called novel, because they, they were not something that has been around for uh, centuries and for, for, for thousands and thousands of years. It's a fairly new thing, this novel. And so then he gives an example. He says, in the story of the woman taken in adultery, that's John chapter 8, in the story of the woman taken in adultery, we are told Christ bent down and scribbled in the dust with his finger. But then here's his observation. He says, nothing comes of this. No one has ever based any doctrine on it. And the art of inventing those little, little irrelevant details to make an imaginary scene more convincing, that's a purely modern art. So surely the only explanation of this passage, C.S. Lewis says, is that the thing really happened. The author put it in simply because he had seen it. He is saying that these are not made up things. That they don't, they don't follow the, the pattern of what legend or myth would have looked like back then. There's something altogether different than being just legend or myth. So Luke says, you need to read part two, Acts, just like you would read part one, that it is a historical accurate narrative. And it's a narrative of our heritage. That's why I get so excited about this. Because it's nice to know where we come from. It's nice to know that the traditions that were handed down, that the things that connect us with the past, it defines your reality, folks. It defines our reality as believers and as the church. To, to just show you an overview of some of the historic detail that Luke puts in, he mentions 32 countries. He mentions 54 cities, nine different Mediterranean islands. He mentions 95 people. 27 of them aren't even in the church, and most of those are, are magistrates or, or city officials or, or military officials. It's as if Luke is saying, you want to do some fact checks? <laughs> Let's, let me show you fact checks. I'm inviting historic scrutiny. He, he's writing this only 30 years after the church begins. He says, you, you don't believe me? You can go back to these places that I just told you about. You can go and talk to these people that I just told you about. You'll see that I'm not making this up at all. So why is that so crucial for us to understand before we launch into our study of the book of Acts? Well, it's where we find our identity. And we got to know that our identity is founded in historical accuracy. It's not made up. We don't have to wonder where the church came from. We have the historic documentations right here of what the early church was all about. If we're going to call ourselves a church, the New Testament church, then our conduct can go back to what the New Testament church was all about, and we can know that with confidence. It's also very, very important because from these historic events that we now believe that they are historic come two events that are the overarching reality for the entire history of the world. They are the most important things for you and me. They are the most important things for anybody who lives in this world, not just for the church. These two events have been the defining reality of Christianity throughout the ages. And it gives the church this absolute truth that gives what we do as a church and who we are as a church meaning and purpose. It's actually the intention behind what, what I entitled this entire series, World's collide. 
You know what happens when you get into, I, I was actually thinking, should I bring a table up here and, and bring some laboratory equipment and bring some substances over here and, and show you what happens in the lab when you put two things together? Then I thought, no, you're a pastor. You should not do anything like that. That would be very dangerous. But if you've ever seen chemical reactions, those are pretty powerful. Because when, you, when worlds collide, when two substances come together, sometimes they, they create this power, this energy that is released that is something totally different, something totally new. Essentially, in the book of Acts, the gospel goes nuclear. And I love that phrase, the gospel going nuclear, because in a nuclear reaction, it, it really is at the subatomic level that things change. You're either ripping things apart or fusing things together. And when you do that on a subatomic level, whole cities can be leveled. Folks, what is happening in you, if you're a part of the church, at a subatomic level changes everything. That's why we are talking about worlds colliding, because in Acts, when worlds collide, it changes the nature of people. When the Old Testament collides with the New Testament, when law uh, collides with grace, when the sinful nature collides with spiritual conviction, when persecution collides with this courageous faith, when fear and confusion collides with bold tenacity, when an empire collides with an eternal kingdom, the world is turned upside down. Amen. And 2,000 years later, we're still going strong. The key word throughout the book is dunamis. Dunamis, that's where we get the words dynamic or dynamo or even dynamite. I was talking to somebody, and I still maybe do this. I don't know. I, I was thinking, what if after the, the greeting time, when we're all talking to each other and greeting, and I start to come up here, and I'm trying to get your attention to go sit back down so that we can have a, a time in the Word. If all of a sudden we started to play the song, TNT, dynamite, TNT. Now, some of you say, I never thought I'd ever hear that in church. You might hear that next year, next week. Although I, I do like being your pastor, so maybe not. I, I'm not sure. TNT, dynamite, the explosive power of a dynamic church that Jesus promised would be unstoppable. Folks, too often we wring our hands over the condition of the world. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? We got all this stuff going on, and people don't like Christians. And da, 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 da. Folks, Jesus said, We win. We have an explosive power that allows us to win. We will not be stopped, not even by the gates of Hades. This is your heritage, this is your story. So, why don't we connect with that? Why, why, why did this year us really truly connect with that? And so we're going to be talking about a whole lot of things about the way that we see our resources or the way that we see our, even ourselves and, and maybe God is leading us to maybe plant some things out there, another church or another service. So, so many things that we're going to see in this book that is just amazingly powerful, dunamis. That's our heritage. So real quick, what are those two things that everything hinges on? Those two historical events that then makes everything else fall into place. First of all, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that you can go to Jesus' tomb right now, and he ain't there. He's gone. He's no longer dead. Death could not hold the Savior down. Jesus rose from the dead, and that changes everything. 
You know, there, there are certain things that just happened in our history that once it, it came about, you go, that's it. Once HDTV came out, that just changed everything, right? Well, once you realize that on the soda can that you're supposed to take that tab and turn it this way and you put a straw through that little hole, that changes everything, right? Well, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is so much better than that. The, the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it changed the way that his disciples looked at the Old Testament, looked at their religion. It changed the way that they, 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 uh, they viewed their resources. It changed the way that they approached their deaths. It changed the way that they reorganized and prioritized their life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, right up there, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul is saying here is if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then it's purposeless. Our lives are purposeless. There is no meaning. There is no overarching truth that we connect with. But because he is alive, he is Lord. Because he is alive, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And all things have been put under his authority. And if you are in Christ, then you have that kind of authority and power as well. Second event, there was the resurrection of Jesus, and then there's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where things can get weird, folks. I'll just, I'll just put it out there. Uh, there's, there's many denominations out there that focus very much on the Holy Spirit. And, and, and sometimes they, they focus in on all of the really weird aspects of what the Holy Spirit would do in the book of Acts. And, and, and that's what they focus in on. And so a lot of us conservative churches, we look at that and go, oh, I don't want to go there. That's scary. So I'm not going to even look at the Holy Spirit. And it's like we miss part of that power that God has for us. Uh, as, a, as a companion guide, as we're going through the book of Acts, if you would like to pick up a book uh, out there that helps you understand this um, obstacle, maybe to your faith, I would recommend Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. It's about the Holy Spirit, and it's about how it doesn't have to be weird, but it does have power that we don't tap into if we do not understand the Holy Spirit's role in our life. You know, it says that, uh, that this, this book was called The Acts of the Apostles, but I found out actually that uh, the uh, early church fathers, you know, right after the apostles, there were the early church fathers, and they actually called this the gospel according to the Holy Spirit. Many of them called it that. It really shouldn't be called the acts of the apostles. It really should be called the acts of the Holy Spirit because it doesn't matter who you're talking about here, whether it's Peter or Paul, it's really the Holy Spirit behind it. There are healings. There's miraculous prison releases. There, there, there's people who come back from the dead. Folks, that's pretty amazing stuff, right? But, but that's not even the point. That's not even the point. Oh, we can get all excited about all those external things that the, the Holy Spirit does. Miracles and speaking in tongues and, and all of that kind of stuff. But that's not the main point. It's the transformation of people's lives from sinners to saints, from persecutor to apostle, from cowardly to courageous. 
It's, it's the producing of this fruit in our lives uh, by those who surrender more and more of their lives to the guidance of the Spirit. Folks, that should get us excited to know that that's our heritage. And it's time for us to claim our heritage. And not just to think that that's all stuff that happened back then and can't happen today. Because God is still in the business of changing people's lives today because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I've seen it. I've seen addicts come clean. I've seen broken relationships healed. I've seen people who are at the end of their rope and ready to kill themselves find immense hope and purpose for their life because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's what this whole thing is about. Because your world will collide with the Spirit of God and the resurrection of Jesus, and it will change you. I promise you, it will change you. That energy will be released, and there will be power that you have never, ever thought possible in your life. That's why I get excited, and I have to take a couple breaths after I'm done with this sermon. And I get to do it again over there in the historic chapel as well. Right now, I invite the worship team to come on up. Worlds collide. And when they collide, there's power that's been released. Dunamis, dynamite. Uh, there is a, um, there's a, a place down in Southern California, just south of Huntington Beach, where the Santa Ana River meets the Pacific Ocean. And, and there's a, a series of jetties, these, these uh, outjuts uh, of rock. And it's called the Santa Ana River Jetties. And when they hit, when this calm, fresh water in the Santa Ana River comes down, you could be floating down that river, woo-woo, and all of a sudden you hit, you hit the, the, the ocean, you don't know what's going to happen right there. there. There's such power, such, such craziness that's happening as the river meets the, 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 the uh, ocean there. It, it's a smooth float until, bam, you have no idea what that power will do or what the current will do. Folks, that's... What basically God asks us to do in the book of Acts is to give up our control and allow him to move and direct our lives. What does it mean? Well, I I believe that after each one of these sermons, we need to actually talk a little bit about just practical what this means to uh, two different uh, groups of people. I do know this. I know that there's some people in this room who are on the path of discipleship. You have made a decision. You've said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm saved. I'm on the path to righteousness. I'm on the path of discipleship. What does this mean that Jesus rose from the dead and the Spirit has been given to you if you've made that decision already in your life? Well, it means that there is a plan for your life. Your faith is not blind or foolish. It's based on historic fact. And God wants to empower you to do the things that he has called you to do. And there's always a way that you can follow him closer and better. And so this year, as we're going through the book of Acts, I would invite you, those who are on the path of discipleship already, to take note of what's going on in the book of Acts and to see how you can align your life so that those kinds of things can begin to happen in your life as well. The fact that God has given us uh, a resurrected Christ and a Holy Spirit indwelling in us means that we can change. God will work in us the fruit that's going to come out, that we are sealed with the deposit that will ensure our salvation. And people's lives can change even though we've already given our life to to Jesus. You may have given your life to Jesus and still struggle with things. Well, it doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle anymore, but it does mean that if Jesus is Lord, he's going to help you overcome a lot of that. 
So you might be on the path of discipleship. There's another path. And because I'm a preacher and everything has to start with the same letter, this is the path of discovery. You, you are not yet there. You have not yet made your decision. But you're wondering about it. If that's you today, if, if you have not yet given your life to Jesus, if you've not yet made that decision, yet you're here for whatever reason, I'd inv- I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And, and I invite you back. I, I don't even need you to agree with what I say up here right now because you're right now on this path of discovery, wondering how this fits in with your life. For you, I invite you back. And I ask you to keep your eyes open as well. Because this thing that we call Christianity is truly grounded in historic fact. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And because of that, it means that you can be forgiven. It means that you can be reconnected with your creator. It will give your life meaning because Jesus rose from the dead. And because the Holy Spirit is available to us, listen, you were created for a purpose and that purpose was to connect with your God. We're told, though, in the Bible that every single one of us, we had sin come in and mess that up. And, and a great illustration of that is by trying to put a CD in a player, and that CD has been all scratched up because of the sin. And you're trying to listen to something nice, and it just doesn't make sense. It just it keeps skipping, and you're going, what, what is this? I don't get it. Well, that's why Jesus came. He came to die so that he can bring clarity to that CD. He came to pay the penalty of your sin so that you can be reconnected with your God. And so some of you say, I just cannot get a handle on my life. Congratulations. Neither can we. That's why we have a faith in a risen Jesus and a powerful Holy Spirit. As we study Acts with us, my prayer is that you will learn to come to trust in Jesus as your reconnection to God and to trust in his power to begin to give your life purpose, to recreate you with his dunamis, to be the person that he has always called you to be.